0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the YVR Remo show, where we try and find ways to help you create wealth in real estate. Now, we focus a lot of our time and energy on investing and so forth, but today we're going to talk a lot about how not to kill your deal. You know, the market is hot, it's been hot for the better part of years now, no matter what part of the country you live in, and the constant conversation we get every single day is, can I go subject-free? Now, we have done an episode in the past about going subject-free and all the things to look out for, but this one's a little different. We're going to go piggyback on that, so the link's in the show notes for the previous episode. Make sure to listen to that, or if you're watching on YouTube, check out the link to the actual episode. And um, we're going to explain the things you need to look out for that could kill your deal or what to watch out for if you're going subject free so you know if you have the best chances or if it makes sense to go subject free on the property that you're purchasing. Now, a couple quick notes. It's very near impossible for us as your advisor to tell us, yes, you're 100% uh, able to go subject free. There's always unknown information and statistics and so many things that can go sideways, which is why there is a financing conditioning um, period in place in many cases. Now, with that being said, there's a whole bunch of things that you can look out for or watch out for, and there's better positions to be in if it is something that you're considering in doing. So whether you're a real estate agent, whether you are an end user, a client, or someone you know thinking about buying your first home or investment property, at the end of the day, you need to know this stuff because if you want to be competitive in this market, you got to find little bits and edges. And that's what we're always trying to do to give you guys a leg up. Now, with that in mind, I'm excited for this, uh, this, this show, this episode, and I want to hear your feedback. We're going to try something new going forward. If you'd like to ask a question on the show, all you got to do is reach out to us on Instagram. That's at thrive mortgage co at the yvr remo show or if you're on spotify you can send us a voice note ask a question and we're going to do a, a question and answer for every episode that we can going forward if we get enough questions so definitely put that out there um and as always this episode is brought to you by the partners here at thrive mortgage co so if you're life, liking it and you want to learn more about working with us check out our website thrive mortgage.ca uh give us a follow share and of course rate and review if you're loving the show on uh, on itunes anyhow Have an amazing day, evening, morning, wherever you are, whenever you are, and we'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. All right, so we are we're here this morning, and we're going to talk about well, what else? The market going subject free, making offers on properties, and uh, really how to protect yourself. It's been a wild last few weeks. It's been a wild start to twenty twenty two, and I don't care if you're listening to this episode in twenty twenty three. If things are still going this way, it's going to be relevant. A lot of the, the reason that we're doing this episode is because we talk to hundreds of people every week like literally hundreds of people every single week. And a vast majority of buyers right now are in a position where they can't put financing conditions in their offer. And if you don't know what financing conditions are, it's basically get three, five, seven, 10, 14 days to make sure that you can get financing on a property that you're happy with before moving forward. So ultimately, we're in an environment where we don't have the opportunity to do that because things are so active. And we're having conversations daily with people. But we've noticed now, this isn't exclusive, but we got a list of, of some of the most common issues that have been presented when people have gone subject free that we can't help you with if we don't know about. And just think about these things before you're making an offer. So um, yeah, it's been busy. Hey, guys. It's an understatement. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a challenging market for everybody
1: involved: um, real estate agents, mortgage brokers, uh, mainly buyers. But uh, you know, people are striking out week after week after week. We have some clients that have written quite literally ten offers, and they still haven't. Secured a property, and we've seen a condo value go from 400 to 550, and they've been priced out of that market because their offer hasn't been accepted. So it's very, very challenging. Um, And it's a very, very common conversation. We need to go subject free to even have a chance at getting this property. So we have countless clients that are going subject free. Like we've gone through the motions in detail with these people multiple times to help them. Uh, understand risks of going subject free a lot of them are in good spots to do so there's never a perfect spot to do so but a lot of them are in good spots to do so and they're still striking out Um, so I mean securing the property is one another animal but getting into a position where you as a buyer are comfortable going subject free and understanding the risks is there's a lot of work behind that so we're hoping this episode is is helpful for every single buyer in this market whether you're an investor a first-time buyer
0: move up buyer what have you mondays for us is just absolute bonanzas absolute bonanzas with you know multiple emails flooding our inbox with uh hey i want to go subject free can i qualify can i qualify but we're starting to realize there's a lot of questions that people aren't asking and um you know i'm having experiences and so are you and dean where people are making offers on properties and they're not qualifying because they didn't do something but why don't we just take a minute or two and walk through the things that we, we, we again, reference the bat, the last episode if you're listening again. Go back to the subject-free offer. We're just gonna do quick Coles notes and some of the things that you can do to protect yourself. But we're gonna talk about the things that could sewer your deal, basically, here. So, um, Derek, why don't you take us out here and, and talk a little bit to just an overview of the, the few things we talk about when you should prep to be subject-free. Yeah, like, from our
1: side, our main focus is you as, like, the people, right? So what we look for and what the banks are gonna look for in the people... The big one, a huge one is income, right? So we really need to look at every single income document under the sun to make sure nothing's been missed. And, you know, when some people start the process, they're like, why do you need my T4s and two pay stubs and a job letter and an NOA? And the reason is if there's one number in any of those documents that we haven't accounted for, is gonna come up at the when it's time for final approval and it could quite literally sewer your approval. Um, so looking at income, making sure, like if you're not working with us, making, making sure that you have submitted every single one of those documents if you're self-employed, you know, tax returns, NOAs, financial statements, bank statements to make sure your business is still active. If someone's not asking you for these things, they're not doing this properly and you shouldn't be going subject free. But really in the people, it's income, credit and liabilities and down payment, right? Like those are the big three items that we need to find comfort in. Um, So again, like we have a very thorough process to make sure that we uncover anything, right? Issues and income. Um, When we pull a credit bureau, we actually document what shows up on the credit bureau and we go through it with every single client because some people are like, hey, this looks great, but my $55,000 car loan doesn't show up right? Like that's an issue. And if we didn't have that conversation that could come up two days before completion and your mortgage is gone, right? And you're losing deposits and it's a nightmare. So just like from our side of things, your pre-approval is so, so important, obviously. Um, But going through a proper true pre-approval is really what's going to allow you to find some comfort in the whole subject free piece. So yeah, income credit down payment, like down payment again, you know, if you're selling a house and your money's coming from the sale, awesome. That's very easy to track. We know where it's coming from. If your money's been in a Canadian bank account for 90 days and you haven't been moving it, easy. If you're getting money from Germany or South Korea or under your bed, like these are things that we need to know. And again, like that's an easy one to skip in the pre approval process, right? Like some people don't want to ask clients for bank statements because it's a lot of work. We do that up front so we can be like, hey, actually, your bank statements show $5,000. Where's the rest of the money coming from? Oh, yeah, it's actually coming from my third cousin in Czech Republic, right? Like these are things that we need to know because banks are not going to accept certain forms of down payment.
2: I think it's important to note like 70% of what you just said is not done by the banks uh, when they pre-approve you. And, and 75% of those items, all of those items will kill your deal. And it's so important to to go through that. So it's a good, uh, good explanation.
0: Yeah, so so um, basically, in summary, Derek just hit everything. We don't need to say much more there. Go back, listen to the subject-free episode where we give you everything that you need to do to get that subject-free uh, offer accepted. We'll do a, maybe a revision of that in the, in the new year, but you you hit the nail on the head here. So let's, let's now touch on some of the things that you actually brought up in your conversation there, Derek. Um, we've got a list of almost 20 different things. There could be a list of 50, but we want to keep this drive time for you guys. All the different things that we've seen that have caused issues or could cause issues if you are, you know, trying to make that subject-free offer on a property, Derek. I'm going to take a, the first one away from you, and that's that's a, a proper underwriting of a file. Listen, what people don't realize is that your bank doesn't properly underwrite your file, and most people don't properly underwrite your file. What does that even mean? An underwriting of a file means that we've reviewed, as to your point, credit, income, down payment assets, and so forth. So the first thing that you just mentioned is that most people going into these subject-free offers don't even know if their file's been underwritten because they walk into their bank, they give them the the documents, they put them on file, and they say, hey, you're pre-approved for this amount of money. Your bank typically does not review any documents that you send in any high-level detail until after you've got a live transaction so that's my number one mistake I've seen I I, I can't count because there's just it's too many people to the point that we've had someone who's made a subject free offer and can't get qualified on the terms or the rates or uh, or for the actual lender that they thought they were pre-qualified for because the bank did not fully underwrite it so remember guys uh, they do not do that, and ultimately, it comes down to us typically reviewing, or someone that you trust, a professional to go over it as much as we can in advance. So that's the the number one, you know, mistake most people make is not knowing what's been reviewed or not reviewed in their file.
2: Another really t- hot topic here is dates. It's hard to make dates line up in a normal market, and what I mean by that is when you're moving out and when you're essentially your seller's moving out. So being prepared by that and and being flexible will really help you put yourself ahead in this market. If you can accommodate somebody else's dates, that just sets yourself with that extra edge and any, any extra edge in this market is going to be important and how you can protect yourself from a date situation, or again, put yourself ahead is, is being prepared for bridge financing, being prepared to potentially carry two homes for a short period of time. There's always a cost to that. It, It is a little bit more expensive than you would, you would typically get on a regular mortgage. But just knowing those costs and and having that ammo is very helpful because that could be the difference of paying potentially an extra $10,000 on a property to win that offer. So having the flexibility of dates and and
1: knowing how to prepare yourself for that would be would be a key piece for me. I mean, a big piece on the dates too is because in this market, a lot of people are trying to buy their house first before they sell, right? Because if you sell right now, the good part about selling now is you know how much money you have to play with, which can help you decide how much you can spend on your next house. So I do like that concept. But a lot of people aren't going that route because they don't want to be left homeless or renting or whatever, or just not be able to get back into the market when it's moving at its pace. Um, so a big part about these dates is like, if you go and write in a subject free offer on a house to purchase, and you haven't even listed your house for sale, and you're doing a three week closing, like what if your house doesn't sell? right? Like the market can quite literally change over a week and we don't know what's coming. And if you get stuck in that spot, like, do you have enough equity? Can you carry two mortgages? Can you get private financing? These are all conversations that we have up front. So we don't like to see quick completion dates on subject-free offers, even if there isn't a property to sell, because if something does come up, like we're going to go through a long list of issues that can come up. But if you have like a two or three weeks closing and you've gone subject-free, If an issue pops up a week later when the bank's finally looking at your file we only have two weeks left to try to fix that issue go to a different lender bring on a cosigner and like these things are timely tasks right so typically we like to see bare minimum one month Um, more time is better. But again, in this market, like Dean mentioned, you're sometimes at the mercy of the sellers
0: and if they want a quick completion, you really want the house. I mean, it's just another risk that you take on, right? Yeah, last thing on dates, I'll leave it right there is that again, to your point, quick dates, even if you're just purchasing your first home or you've already sold your property and you're prepared to do so, remember this will change the lenders that you can work with or who can take you on. Sometimes we see certain banks um, will be too busy and they won't take on a file and they'll just flat out reject it. So, you know, again, not that this is a negative thing if you're working with a mortgage broker because we can shop different lenders, but at the end of the day, it, it will change your options in many circumstances and we might have to pay for rush costs and things like that. So just keep those things in mind. If you gotta do it to get the house, it's probably not a big deal, but just make sure you let your broker know and be aware this could change your options. So let's talk a little bit about you know ultimately um, you know, appraisals and uh, what's going on in the market as far as appraisals, what we're seeing right now and, and how that could impact you if you go subject free. because. I I mean, I know we've done an episode on this in the past, but I think it's a conversation that comes up in every single day and every single subject free offer that we make right now. Um, Now we're talking predominantly people who are putting 20% down. So mostly people who are putting 20% down on a property, they need to be aware that when you do a a purchase for a property, uh, there's two types of appraisals. There's an automated appraisal, which is what we hope for, which is basically the computer saying, yes, the value is good. And then there's a physical appraisal. Now with the values going, you know, obviously up week over week right now, often lenders are asking for a physical appraisal. This means somebody has to go there, uh, take a couple pictures, write a report, and look at comparables. And sometimes no, there are no comparables. So if you're buying a detached home and the last most recent sold showing up in the system is 1.5 million, you just paid 1.85, there's a very good chance that your appraiser could say that you know the valuation in the market is 1.7. And now you're short about $150,000, you've gone subject free and you've got three weeks to close, what are you gonna do, right? so that's a big consideration that you'd be thinking about that's a good segue
2: from dates because dates can really help you there right and and having that extra time and i've seen this uh, firsthand where that exact same scenario occurred and we but we had three months for closing so i mean that's not going to happen in this market but you should be able to get a pretty decent amount of time 45 to 60 days is common That amount of time actually saved this individual because we were able to reappraise that home a month later and there was now comparable to support that new value. And now we have that new value and we're moving forward with no issues. So that's just, again, how a date can now protect you on an appraisal issue like this. But, um, you know, another thing we see quite commonly is, is homes that are just really, really old, never been, never been renovated, 1970s, 80s, vintage homes. Not a single upgrade done to these homes. And, and one big piece of appraisal report is the life of the home. The economic life of the home is looked at very closely by lenders. And typically, a home should have about 35 to 40 years of life or more. Uh, but that's kind of the minimum of what most lenders are looking at. I would say 30 years is, is the minimum. And typically, that why that's so important is because your amortization is tied to that economic life. And a lender typically wants to see five years more on the life of the home over your amortization. So if you have a 25-year amortization, that's how we're qualifying you. And, and, and for those that don't know, amortization is how you qualify. It's how much your payment is going to be over the course of your term. So an amortization is typically tied to the life of that mortgage. And and it should be five years. The the economic life should be five years more than the amortization. If it's not, we have to decrease the amortization, which is ultimately going to hurt your qualification. So if we now approved you over a 25-year payment plan, we're now looking at a 20-year payment plan if that economic life came in a little bit less. And that's really important because now you personally do not qualify for that home. And if you're in a subject free situation, we're now looking for a cosigner or, or more money down. And that's a big deal to, to
1: consider. Yeah. And a lot of banks will just walk away if they see a really short economic r- remaining life. Um, so I think just to recap on that, like Alex talked about values. Dean talked about values as well as condition of the home. Those are the two things issues that can potentially arise. Now, just to kind of recap on the people that could be impacted by an appraisal. So an insured mortgage, most of the time there is no appraisal required unless it's a really unique property. That doesn't mean that the insurer is gonna look at a file and not order an appraisal. Keep in mind, it's typically never the bank, it's the insurer, right? So it can happen, it absolutely can happen. It is rare, but if it does, we deal with that and we hope that the appraisal comes in uh, where it needs to. Somebody with 20% down on the nose, yes, that takes a lot of the risk away in a subject free offer because we're no longer dealing with the insurer and we have potential B lender options, but on the topic of appraisals, if those people, those buyers have 20% down with no fallback and no family that could support them if something went wrong, those are the people that are probably at the most risk uh, of an appraisal coming low because if an appraisal comes in low, And they just have 20% down they have to find extra money unless we can get the value up right so somebody that does has no fallback they've saved up their 20% on the nose there is risk there if an appraisal comes in low you have to find more money unless we can get the value increased somebody with 35% down let's say not a lot of risk there in regards to value because you have an extra 15% down over and above your 20% right keep in mind that this might be a little bit confusing but In a conventional mortgage, the maximum that a bank will finance is 80% of the property value in most situations, right? So if you're doing 35% down, you've already built in a big extra buffer of equity and down payment. Even if your appraisal does come in low, it's often not going to impact the size of your mortgage most of the time unless it's dramatically low. So big down payments, you're typically safe when it comes to value. 20% down, there is some risk there. Make sure you have some fallback, family to lean on. Insured, we very rarely see appraisals, but they can happen and that can cause issues.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. There's a lot of good points there. And I think We could talk about appraisals in a full single episode, so we'll we'll push on from this one. But you know, to piggyback on the point of appraisals, there's some points that uh, you should be aware of, and and one that's come up a few times lately, which is uh, multiple buildings, multiple units on a property, so the physical building. Now we can talk a little bit about the property types and why lenders do or do not finance properties. I want to be clear. We're not suggesting in this conversation that you can't get any financing for all of these circumstances, but we are suggesting that this will change your financing options and could impact you. So a little bit to know here, a lot of people lately have been looking at selling properties and moving out to rural areas, smaller towns, the island up north and the interior, all these types of things. And one thing that's come up a lot lately is a piece of land that have multiple buildings on it. And um, a lot of people don't realize that you might choose to pay $1.5 million because there's two properties or a beautiful shop or things of that nature. Well, your lender typically only looks at one unit or one house in on the property. Now, I'm going to put an asterisk in there and say there's a whole bunch of considerations that we have to think about when it comes to whether they will or will not even look at it. Uh, but as a rule of thumb, if there's two homes... On a single piece of land so a single title the lenders looking at the primary residence they're valuing that property plus the land they're not putting a value in that second home uh, again that's a pretty common thing i've seen that we had that conversation with a client yesterday as to what the lending what would that look like as far as their lending options and how would that impact them and so again these are circumstances where like you mentioned earlier there dean if the valuation or maybe i don't remember who said it but the valuation of the property is 1.5 and the appraiser says it's worth 1.3 with it with the one building well, again, you're gonna to have to make a difference of that value and we've seen that happen a few times. So, I mean, for me, that's something that I'm seeing more frequently. That could also include shops. Like if the house has its own garage and then you've got a shop with a garage, same thing, lenders look at that as an outbuilding, it's a separate building, and your typical institution is only looking at the single value. Now, if you're putting 35% down on a property and you've got way more cash, then it may not even affect you. You can just pay the value and get the mortgage for how much you need to make up the difference. But most people aren't putting such a sizable down payment to the fact that they can do that. They usually do have to include that. So that would be a big thing that I've seen a lot of lately that surprised people.
2: I've seen this quite frank- frequently with large parcels of land as well, where, you know, in it, 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 so acreage is bigger than five acres. As an example, we've seen properties that are 40 acres in size and the lenders only looking at the first five acres of value. So you have the one building, they think they're prepared because it's just the one building, but then lo and behold, it's 40 acres and we're only looking at five acres of value. And that, that can be a big issue too, especially in the rural communities that we, we seem to deal with quite a bit. No doubt. Yeah. Also purchase price. This goes in, this goes in line with, uh, with a property type realizing that 20% down doesn't actually work on a $2 million home in most cases, a lot of lenders are looking for more down and and it's considered a sliding scale. So, you know, when you get above 1.5 million, I would be prepared to put 25% down at a minimum, depending on the lender. Of course, some lenders will still allow you to do 20% down, but, but understanding that not every lender looks at the purchase price the same way. And twenty percent down is 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 correct if it's over a million dollars. But once you get into those higher purchase prices, you really need to be talking about purchase price and and how much you're putting
1: down from
2: a percentage point of view.
1: Yeah, and I got a really good example here of this exact scenario. Uh, some clients bought an acreage in Langley for three point seven million. That was their purchase price, and their appraisal came in. So this is five acres with a house, a uh, separate mobile two massive shops that are worth a lot of money Um, so their appraisal came in at 3.19 million dollars right like five hundred thousand dollars less because they weren't accounting for the value of the mobile in these shops so these guys it worked because they had a very very big down payment so it didn't impact them but for someone that was thinking they're doing 20-25 percent down not happening right Um, and just another thing that kind of caught my mind as you guys were chatting is sometimes we do limit ourselves to one lender because maybe that one lender has a program where they will go to $2.5 million and they'll do 20% down, right, on the value. So we also have to keep in mind that if we have limited ourselves to one specific lender, there's way more risk there because if that lender won't do it for whatever reason, we don't have a bunch of other options, right? Whereas when you're in a scenario and you're buying and you qualify everywhere, there's a lot less risk there because we could get a decline from four lenders, but we're probably gonna find one that will do it. Right. So
0: just keep that in mind, depending on your specific situation. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually probably something we should have touched on right away. Thanks for bringing it up, Derek. At the end of the day, just because you're qualified doesn't mean you qualify with multiple lenders as brokers. We work with different institutions. Right. So, you know, knowing that your qualification works specifically with one institution is probably key going into this because then you can gauge your level of risk. Um, and I mean, let's be honest, in a lot of circumstances, we're talking about conventional financing. We're not really keying in on alternative financing, but knowing that, you know, you could go back to the alternative financing option is probably going to be something that you want to think about. So make sure to have that conversation when you're going into it and how you can get in, how you can get out. Um, other key points, things that don't, people don't realize farms, right? You're buying a property that has cows or pigs or chickens, it, you know, it seems really sexy. I don't know if it's sexy, but it seems really popular right now on the IG world. So you know, all these little mini farms popping up and hobby farms. Guess what? Uh, lenders don't typically love farms, or you're going to fit under a farm program, and so you got to make sure you do your due diligence there. I've seen people show up with a contract and they're like, ah, oh, there's a horse and and a chicken and a, and a, and, a, and all these different things, and they're putting down like ten percent, and you know it's just let's just put it this way. Uh, keep in mind if you're doing the farm route, it will change your options. Just make sure to have that conversation up front because. Um, it's much easier to get the chickens after the fact and the cows after the fact than beforehand.
1: <laughs> yeah, the main reason for that is actually the foreclosure process, which again, foreclosures are very, very rare in Canada, thankfully. Um, but Scotiabank doesn't want to have to deal with, if Dean decides to not make his payments and he has horses and pigs and cows, like. Does Scotia have to take the necessary steps to work with organizations that are going to deal with getting rid of the animals in a humane way? And the last thing Scotia Bank wants is to be on the news because these animals died because the foreclosure process you know what i mean so there's just a lot more there when it comes to um foreclosure if if a property ever or mortgage ever got into that state
2: one of the big things is is a lot of times farming is their livelihood and it's very difficult for a bank to take away somebody's livelihood as part of a foreclosure it's actually almost impossible to foreclose on on a property that somebody is earning the majority of their income on Um, it it can be tied up in court for years, years. Uh, We've seen it uh, with blueberry farms up to four or five years in foreclosure court.
0: Banks want nothing to do with that. Yeah, all good points. Again, all these situations are you know, ones where we have to put little asterisks, but these are really good things to consider because ultimately people don't typically want to have the financing that you get when it comes to those circumstances. Um, you know, other, other things that we want to talk about, you know, when it comes to property types, so we'll just stay on that track would be, uh, and we'll kind of power through these grow up properties. You know, again, was there a marijuana grow up? We've talked about these in the past, like that's going to impact your financing options for sure. Was there a meth lab or was there a previous grow up? You know, make sure you've done your due diligence and check the the PDS and Form B or, or PDS in this situation. You know, ultimately, um, that's always surprising to people. That listen, if there was a grow up in the property, even if there's three plants, it does impact the property and the financing. So, keeping that in mind, um, any other drug house would be a consideration. Go ahead, there, buddy. Yeah, well, it,
2: it's important that you don't just check the PDS because the PDS is just filled out by the owner and the, and their realtor. And if they leave it off, you, you may think you're in the clear. But we've had lenders actually look back on MLS reports and seen that previous MLS listings from the previous owner listed it that it was a grow up. So it, it can come out in the weeds. So a good realtor will look back on old data, uh, old list of data and see if there was a previous grow up. So, you know, I've had this a lot lately where it's not in the original PDF or in the current PDS, but it is in one of the original listings and it kills your deal. So it's very important to do some deep dives there. And
0: uh, a good realtor should be able to help you through that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, again, where another key to this whole conversation is, is making sure you're working with an agent who's going to be in communication and or, or who knows a lot of these things. Right. Or has had some kind of experience. That's pretty important, too. Right. Um, uh, vacation titles, uh, commercial buildings, uh, you know, all these different things. We've seen people trying to buy, uh, properties in, uh, you know, uh, there's a very famous one up in, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Kelowna, La Casa. We see one in Cultus Lake and it's, it's basically, you have to look at the title to even catch these things. And there's a whole bunch of different designations. Some of them are designated as mobile home parks and then they're converted into detached homes. Uh, some of them are designated as, as just vacation rentals. Keep in mind that does impact the lender's ability or desire to finance you. So again, if you're qualified with one lender and they're not gonna lend on that, that'll impact you. So keep that in mind. Yeah, the zoning that
1: allows for short-term rental, like short-term rentals, becoming very, very popular, right? It can be a phenomenal investment. You can make a lot of money. You can use it. Um, and a lot of these properties, these condos are marketed like the listing notes say you can Airbnb this property. And when ninety-nine percent of conventional lenders see that, they want to step aside. They don't like the idea of having short-term rental, Airbnb, being active in a in a property that they have mortgage because there's a lot more risk there. Um, And it's hard for them to justify income too. They don't know if it's going to be rented 200 days a year or 20 days a year, right? It's really hard for them to actually justify income. So that's a big one too, understanding zoning. The short-term piece is there are lenders that will do it, but it's a very unique structure. It's a lot harder to qualify. Uh, so if that's something that you're going after, just make sure you've, again, done
0: your research and you know what your lender options are up front. You got it. You got it. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, we're go- I think we're going to power through the rest of these because there's so many points, but You know, a couple other key points, Uh, Derek mentioned this early on, where's your money coming from? Is your money coming from overseas and you've got to quit closing in 30 days and need to have the money in Canada and it's coming from Iran? Not going to fly. Money coming from the US typically has to be in Canada for 30 days as well. Is it being gifted? Who's providing the source? When is it coming in? Leaving it to the last minute? All these different things. So that would be something I would definitely keep in mind if you're someone who's getting a gift or you're transferring money from somewhere. Um, are you a foreign uh, individual or, or someone who's not yet a permanent resident in Canada? Also, key consideration, there's going to be foreign buyers taxes. This one actually still, it, it surprises me that it surprises people that it impacts your financing and your options still to this day. Not just the, the tax implications, but also the qualifications in some circumstances. So, yeah, again, uh, if you're an agent, knowing your client's uh, personal situation, are they a citizen? Are they a resident? What is their current circumstance? Because that will also change your options.
2: One thing that's important to note too is just is your app up to date? And this kind of goes in, this is correlates with your pre-approval. When was that completed? You know, we do full pre-approvals, which we touched on earlier, true pre-approval. But if it's six months ago, you need to understand that that needs to be up to date. Four months is typically your rule of thumb. And then even when you get into a live offer situation, updated documents are going to be required. And a pre-approval is not a firm approval by any means. So, you know, if you went and bought a big Ford F-350 truck uh, over the holidays and and you think that's not going to impact you because you got a pre-approval and you're going to pull the trigger within four months. Well, unfortunately it is a big issue. Uh, You got to, you can't make changes to your situation. So, Apps up to date pre-approvals being, you know, staying the same, being consistent with what your financing picture
1: was when you got the pre-approval is very important. Yeah. And this is a note for any borrower or buyer listening, but also real estate agents. We get this all the time where we went through the motions six months ago, like Dean mentioned, and we haven't heard from these clients. Really, we don't know if they're active and then they start getting active. And the first person they call is you as the realtor. Right. So you guys are out looking at homes and then we get an email Monday morning, hey, we're gonna write a subject free offer tonight at four PM. And we need to get their pay subs for 2021 and we need to relook at credit. There's a there's a process there, right? That we're scrambling and trying to get done by four PM. So as a real estate agent, if you have clients that have a fairly stale pre-approval and they're active, you guys are shopping, please ask them to reach out to us or let us know so we can reach out to them. A big one right now is like we just We just went past the end of 2021, right? So if we looked at someone's fairly new job in 2021 and we justified income, we also have to look at what they earned for the full calendar year. And who knows, maybe they took the month of November and December off. That's not a good look when it comes to financing, right? So we need to really update things, especially at year end, to make sure that income stayed consistent. That 2021
2: income is so important. A lot of people think that if qualified on a two-year average for, say, commissioned income over 2019, 2020. They think they're golden, not realizing that they earned a lot less in 2021 for whatever reason. And then oh, lo and behold, bank wants your 2021 year-end bank statement or pay stub to see how much you earned. And now your two-year average is a lot less. Again, these are things that you just have to stay up to date on. And uh, and that's
0: what we're here for. Totally. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. You know, I think uh, that we touched on a lot of the key points here, uh, programs changing, you know, lenders and, and where they're at right now, the types of buildings, outbuildings, mobile homes, leaseholds, vacation properties, uh, Manufactureds appraisal values, all that kind of stuff. So I think the only other thing that we we haven't touched on here would just be maybe uh, strata properties and how that could impact your financing going forward. It's a conversation that we get a lot. Listen, like if you're buying something that's on a strata, there's so many considerations you have to think about. First and foremost, special levies and assessments. Do you have an upcoming repair or assessment on the property? You know, is the building 20 years old and and they're replacing the roof or 30 years old and they're replacing the roof? Did you just have a replacement occur or did they just have a replacement occur and maybe you just didn't see it or they haven't had the engineering report? Um, There's a lot of lawsuits, litigations. There's so many considerations you have to keep in mind that you've got to do a deep dive. And again, lenders aren't going to look at that before you're placing the offer. So make sure that you're doing a deep dive into it. Yeah. One thing that I saw recently was uh, active construction. This is a
1: big project roof and exterior of a building and it was about 95% complete, like it was almost done. They were just finishing the decks. Um, but because it was active, we had declines from multiple lenders. They did not want to get involved because again, the concern is, yeah, it's almost done, but are they going to finish it? Is it paid for? Are they going to run into issues with the contractors? Is going to turn into a lawsuit, right? Like they want work completed, signed off, certificate of completion in hand.
2: Yeah. Age of buildings is a key one too. I mean, if you're trying to look out to how to mitigate this, we've had seen like age restricted buildings as well. Just had a few files declined because the, um it's age restricted you can't live in there unless you're at least 45 years old or or older so things like that so looking at you know an age restriction or any restrictions be aware of that if you're buying a rental property and then find out that uh, we've qualified you on rental income and there's no rentals allowed going to be an issue um, but ultimately the the age of the building so you know if we're looking at buildings in the Abbotsford lower main uh Port Coquitlam area just to be local here um there's buildings that are like 50 60 years old believe it or not and they're not in good shape uh so
0: just a couple things to keep in mind yeah a lot of good stuff there guys um, again, we try to keep these ones to the drive time and I think we touched on a lot of stuff. So if you're, again, if you, if you're a, an agent and you want to learn more about this kind of stuff, you know, listen to our subject free offer. If you're a client looking to buy in this market, our goal here with this episode is not to scare the crap out of you. <laughs> That's hopefully not the case, but to better prepare you because these are all the things that you need to be thinking about, um, when you're making an offer. And as you can see, these are the things that we do. And we think about every single day as we, uh, geek, geek out about mortgages. So whether uh, you're looking to buy your first home, second, or a real estate investment property, if you guys want to find out more about what we do here at Thrive, just uh, find us on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. Or our website, thrivemortgage.ca. Send us a message. If it's a good fit, we'd love to take you on and help you out. Uh, If you're a real estate agent looking for a better partner in the business, same thing. Otherwise, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Stay subscribed. Keep kicking ass and taking names. And we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, all.